the Ask Aaron P. Show, episode number four, The Caddyshack Ranch and the Sea Shepherd of Jacksonville. You're listening to the Ask Aaron P. Show, and I am your host, Aaron Patrick Hoffman. Welcome back, everybody, to episode number four of the Ask Aaron P. Show. Yes, I am Aaron, and today I've got a special episode for you because I have not one, but two interviews for you today, and they're big deals. Our first is with our guest, Jordan Joseph, who is a volunteer coordinator at the number one rated thing to do in Northeast Florida, according to TripAdvisor magazine. It's the Caddyshack Ranch Wildlife Sanctuary. So we are going to talk all things big cats. We're going to talk big things about foxes and quadamundus, among other things that are at the sanctuary. And so we'll talk all about that. And not only that, we're going to talk about my favorite thing. Well, it's on my top of things to do this year. And that is to camp out with the big cats this year. And that happens April 21st and 22nd of 2018. So you can register March 4th and we'll tell you more about that in the interview. After that... Lisa Blizzard with the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society is going to be with us. Now, she is here specifically today to talk about beach cleanups that are happening this Saturday, February 10th at Jacksonville Beach. Now, the Sea Shepherd meets once a month, and the only thing they suggest you bring is a bucket, gloves, and a great attitude. This is your chance to make a big difference on the beaches we all truly love. There are prizes and raffles for the volunteers who help clean up, so not only are you doing something great for the community, but it's great exercise and you can network with like-minded people. So, without further ado, let's get to interview numero uno <laughs> with Jordan Joseph of the Caddyshack Ranch. Hi Jordan, this is Aaron. Hi Aaron, how are you? I'm good, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm glad you are. You are part of the Jacksonville Caddyshack Ranch, voted the number one things to do in Northeast Florida, according to TripAdvisor magazine. That's a pretty huge accomplishment, isn't it? It is. We're, we're very, uh, very proud of it. So for those of us who don't know, what is the Caddyshack Ranch? So we are a wildlife sanctuary. It's in the name. And what we do is we provide forever homes for exotic animals that have either uh, been confiscated by the state or uh, the USDA, or maybe they were private pets at one point or came from a facility similar to us, but perhaps they run out of resources or funding um, or anything of the like and uh, need, need a home. So when we take them in, it's a home for the rest of their life. I see. And where are you folks located? We're located on the north side of Jacksonville, uh, maybe about 10 minutes from the airport. Oh, I see. Are you close to First Coast High School? Would that be a good landmark for people? A great landmark. We're, we're maybe three minutes from, from the school. Okay. Okay, perfect. And the success of the ranch, it didn't happen overnight, right? Definitely not. In fact, it's been going on for more than 30 years from what I read. And could you tell us a story about how Kurt initially got started in police dog training and then how he parlayed that into the Wildcats? Yeah, absolutely. So he's actually a transplant from Ohio, uh, moved down here about 18 years old, and uh, he had planned to go a bit further south, um, but he stopped here in Jacksonville, saw the beach, and then stayed. Um, he got into dog training, always had a passion for animals. The dog training was, uh, you know, he needed a job at that age, so 
Um, shortly after the dog training, he got linked with an organization called the Florida Panther Project, which is actually still around. It's also a nonprofit. And their main mission is to educate, you know, the community about our Florida Panthers, the only big cat we have here in Florida. And so I'm um, working with them. He had a, a cougar um, at the time, or a Florida Panther, um, one and the same. And they would go around and educate at schools, nursing homes, uh, about our Florida Panthers. And from there, the word got out that he was taking care of, of these kind of animals and people that were, you know, overwhelmed with mostly private pets at that time would start putting them on him. Um, so then he realized, okay, well, this, this, this has to be funded somehow. So uh, that's, that's kind of how Caddyshack came about. Uh, moved out to the north side where there's a bit more land than there was in the Palm Valley area. And then uh, always funded this uh, by himself working. And uh, it just became, when there were so many animals, and fortunately with enough volunteers at the time that he was able to turn it into an organization. Wow. So some of these were just rescued from people that just wanted to turn them in, surrendered them because they were overwhelmed with it? Overwhelmed with it. You know, people think that perhaps they stay small forever and that they stay manageable or maybe they see a, a short little video. Well, I would say at that time there's no YouTube, but, you know, think that it, it could be a manageable pet and you'd be surprised the number of cases that that actually happens uh, often still. Right. It, we do live in Florida, so we are kind of a crazy state when it comes to that sort of thing, isn't it? So, oh, we not, are. Yeah, not totally surprising. Now, I read, now, was, is Caddyshack his residence? Was it her, his residence at first? Um, it was, and um, Caddyshack leased from him. Now it's kind of the, the opposite, so he is still a resident. He's, he's often confused as the owner, and at one point he was, but in 2001, when they became a 501c3, um, he became the, the executive director, obviously fitting. Um, and so he doesn't own it. He always jokes that it owns him. But he does live here, reside here on property, um, and will until he chooses to retire, which, you know, <laughs> Understood. who knows when that would happen. Yeah, it seems like it's a life commitment for sure. And I also noticed on the website there was a couple folks on the website with his last name. So does he have some family members that help him out with the mission too? He does, yes. He does have a couple of family members that are um, on the board, uh, uh, two children that were raised in this environment um, and have the same passion for it, and also his father. Okay. Jordan, um, how long have you been with the Caddyshack Ranch? Um, it doesn't feel like it, but I'm getting ready to celebrate a 10-year anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. That's a big deal. Thank you. <laughs> it is. It flew by. I bet it has. What do you love the most about working at the ranch? You know, you, you develop a connection with the animals that, that's just unlike anything else. I mean, everybody has pets, and it's similar to that. I mean, these are family members. And so to get to know each individual personality, to really you know, feel and understand what they, what, what they want, what they need, um, and just to be that, that voice for them. Um, you know, we have a lot of older residents. Uh, I always joke that we're, we're like a retirement home for big cats because they do live two to three times their average lifespan here in captivity than they would in the wild. And so, you know, that comes with a lot of medical challenges as they age, just like with people or our pets. And so, you know, to be able to give them that happy, comfortable, loving, home in those in kind of like a hospice type setting at, at a certain point um it's just very rewarding and and it's unlike anything else it's definitely not always easy it can be very difficult um you know, especially losing animals um but it's just one of those things that's just a labor of love um and the other great thing is that these are animals that we can't take home so there's no i could never work at a dog shelter because 
I would be over <laughs> overrun with dogs at home. So this is just wonderful. I can't take any of them home. Were you a cat person before you started? Funny enough, I was actually more of a dog person. But is I would right? say that I def I was. Um, always grew up with pets, uh, horses, um, but I always thought of myself as a dog person. Um, but I would say that just the, the sheer fact that cats are so self-sufficient, mm -hmm. uh, I would say I probably probably converted to being a cat person. I was curious to see in your time spending with those cats if they had very similar personality traits, if you will, than a domestic cat. Sometimes it seems like they're very similar. They are. I, I will tell you, there's very little difference. In fact, I, I kind of think, you know, perhaps domestic cats really aren't domesticated. They're just small enough to be manageable because they will do what they want when they want. Um, but I would say that, that small cats definitely think they're tigers. Um, you know, they act, the, the mannerisms, the behaviors are all very similar. I mean, you know, cat looks falls the same way the tiger does. Um, so it's, it's very, very similar. You know, I think that they're always ready to pounce. They're always very aware. Um, they sleep a ton, of course. So very, very similar, very little differences. Yeah, it does seem like it, doesn't it? That's great. Um, now, do you know how many cats have been part of Caddyshack over the years? You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, in just my four years, um, we've probably had about uh, just over 50. Um, obviously, some of them still here. Before me, I know that there were numerous <clears throat> to count. Um, I probably wouldn't be able to give you a count, but I'm sure there's been um, well over 100. And not all of them have been cats. We've had some, some other species so long as they needed homes at the time. Mm -hmm. And it looks like you have about five species now of, of big cats, and then you also have two that are not so cat uh, species. So describe the, the, describe the current lineup, if you don't mind, for us. Sure, no problem. So we have uh, mostly tigers, which just happen to be, I think, the most popular in captivity and the kind of facilities that we get them from. Um, it's not because we, we are, are biased to tigers. Um, lions leopards, Asian leopards, um, pumas, which is a cougar, a Florida panther, a mountain lion, um, as well as the um, the bobcat, uh, which is a, a type of lynx. And then as far as the other kinds of animals, uh, again, they just needed a home, so we were able to provide that. Um, but we have coatamundis, or coatis for short, and they are the South American version of a raccoon, as well as foxes, which are actually a very interesting species that I don't think get enough uh, light shed on them. They're very, very smart, very mischievous. Everything you think of a fox, they are. Um, but we have a, a, actually three foxes right now. One of them is uh, a brand new resident, got her in mid-December, um, and she's completely blind. Is that right? It hmm. is, yeah, but she manages very well. Now, are they out and about the, the, fox, the foxes and the other? I, that was a big word that you mentioned, the other uh The, uh, the Mondays. Yeah, thank you. Uh -huh. So th you, those can be seen. They don't hide. You know, those can be seen anytime you go and do a public tour. They can. The foxes are funny. They always act like they're very shy, but they're really not that shy. Um, but they're kind of, they normally are curled up in a ball sitting on a platform, but they're definitely visible during our public events. The Kuatamundis, um, we have four of them. Um, three are older. One is uh, only about three years old. So he's normally quite active. But um, with the colder weather like this, obviously they're more of a tropical animal. With the colder weather, they do like to stay inside of their den boxes more. They have blankets and heated den boxes. So you can't blame them for that. But um, but getting into a little bit warmer months, they're always out. Uh, and the, the young one especially, he has quite the jungle gym in his habitat. So he's normally swinging around and, and always looking for attention.
That's great. That's great. And getting back to the big cats, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you've gotten to know a lot of their personalities. But if you're talking between the species of the big cats, are there more um, uh, aggressive um, species than others? Are some more lazy or some more playful? Can you speak to those of what you've seen in your experience? Sure. So, you know, of course, they have individual personalities, just like just like we do. Um, so, uh, you know, on average, I would say that the tigers are more playful. They're more they're they're always looking for the next op, uh, opportunity to pounce or they're always curious as to what's going on. Any little sound, you know, they want to investigate. Lions will lift their head. And if it's not something they can see immediately that really grabs their attention, they're going to lay back down. So a lot of people don't realize, you know, when we watch Big Cat Week or National Geographic, you know, these, you know, 60-minute shows, we're watching a lot of action, them hunting or moving in, in some manner. But there's actually very little part of what they do during the day. Tigers will sleep 15 to 18 hours a day. Lions will sleep up to 21 hours a day. So they're actually quite lazy like house cats. That's totally um, but, lazy, yes. <laughs> Very lazy. And and I think it's such a misconception because when people come out, they see them sleeping and they're thinking, okay, well, you know, man, don't, don't they need more space to like get out and run? But they actually wouldn't, wouldn't do that. They don't have that desire. They don't want to exhaust energy if they don't have to. Um, the leopards are probably the most dangerous of all the species. Um, leopards and maybe jaguars equally. Um, leopards are, you know, about a third the size of a lion or a tiger, but they are um, incredibly powerful uh, and capable of taking down prey three times their size. The lynx, uh, albeit much smaller than the other species of cats that we have, um, probably the greatest attitude. Um, they're very interesting. Um, again, much, much like house cats and mannerism. Uh, and then the cougars, I'd say, are maybe a bit laid back. Um, you know, here in Florida, we don't hear too much about them when we do. It's kind of, it should be a thing. Um, but they're very elusive species. You know, they don't want to be seen, which is really great species because the more they're seen, um, the less of them will have, uh, to be quite honest. But I would say that the tigers are the most playful. But, you know, we get some lions that will be more playful than the next tiger. So it, it really varies. The type of diet that they're eating, I would imagine they just eat maybe once. Tell me about their diet and how their schedule works. We do only feed once in the evening. Um, and we feed in the winter six to seven nights a week. In the summer, about five nights a week. Um, and we do that because just like us, in the summer, the hotter months, we're looking to decrease um, our intake. You know, it's, it's hot outside, it gets too filling. So in the winter, we always want to put on that winter weight. Um, so that's a bit what we do for the animals. Uh, right now, we're feeding for all of our residents, we're feeding about 700 pounds of meat uh, a night. And in the summer, we'll look to feeding about um, probably about 600 to 650 pounds of meat a night. Um, we feed a mixture of um, poultry and red muscle meat, which is uh, very close to their natural diet. Of course, in the wild, they would eat mostly hoof stock. Um, these carnivores eat herbivores. So um, that's pretty much for all of the big cats. People ask, they don't eat any vegetables. No, they don't. They don't have time for vegetables. Um, but our <laughs> small animals, the Coatamundis, are actually an omnivore. So they eat a little bit of everything. So they get a mixture of chicken and maybe uh, rice, sweet potatoes, fruits, vegetables, and then a little bit of treats, which are Cheerios and marshmallows. Oh, sounds nice, um, yes. Yeah, so they have a very well-rounded diet. Uh, we're often jealous of what they're what they're eating, 
And the foxes, which maybe some would think are strictly carnivores or not, they actually eat a good number of berries, which would be in their natural diet. So they get, um, they get raw meat as well as some berries. Blueberries would be a favorite. And then they'll eat some little dog treats. They're nothing like a dog, so I don't recommend them as a pet, but, but they'll eat dog treats as well. The amount of meat that you're going through a day is just shocking to me. And then I can't imagine that. And then you brought up the point that these are aging animals. So therefore, just like humans, obviously the more expensive part of their life. So you are a 503c2 nonprofit organization. So I'm sure it's not cheap to keep the doors open and supply all the food and all the shelter. Uh, you also offer public tours to the general public. So can you tell us about when the feeding schedule is for that and how to go about getting tickets? Sure. So we'd love to be open more days, but um, we're mostly volunteer staffed at the moment. But um, mm -hmm. we do the night feeding. So it was a great event because we had to feed anyway. So we do those on every Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday nights at 6 p.m. Um, it's a short window to get here. You want to be 7 o'clock, and the feeding itself uh, starts at 7.30. So um, from 6 to 7.30, we do guided tours. So you get about a 45-minute um, tour that will introduce you to all of our residents. Um, factual information, uh, things that people want to know about these animals. Um, and, and you're very close to the animals. So that's a really um, a great point with something that we hear compliments on all the time is that, you know, these animals are actually out and visible. Um, and they want to be seen. They find us interesting like we find them. Um, so the night feedings are probably the number one event. It's a similar time, time span as to, you know, uh, a movie, going to see a movie. It's a great date night. Um, and then we also do daytime tours on Thursday afternoons, which don't include a feeding. They're just daytime tours. What I would say is probably you're going to see sleeping cats, but it's great for photographs um, with the natural light. So, uh, And then do an event um, on a Sunday, uh, which is the enrichment tour. So we do regular guided tours, still no feeding, but what we do is we make different things for them. So um, this uh, coming month uh, with Valentine's Day, of course, uh, we make everything themed for Valentine's Day. It could be cardboard boxes that we decorate and stuff with meat or catnip and give to them. And they shred it, all of this hard work that we put into them and they're <laughs> shred in, in just a few seconds. But we'll have some kissing booths, which are just large boxes that we hope we kind of bait them with chicken and hope that they stick their head through the front of the kissing booth. And it's great photo opportunity again. So it's a lot of fun. And, and you know, cats like boxes. It's the same with big cats. So yeah, it's not so much the toy itself, it's the, the, the package that it came in. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think people are most surprised on after they go through the tour? Sure, you know, from the road, it looks very small, and, and, I, and I totally get that. That's, that's a very common first impression, and um, we have plans, uh, uh, renovation, major renovation plans, actually. We've been working with a civil engineer for about nine months, so we're really excited to um, begin to share that with everybody um, and get the community support. Um, but one of the this probably sounds funny. One of the big compliments that we get is expected to smell bad, like people with okay, cats, good. like their home, yeah, but it know. doesn't. Yeah. So, um, and, and they have a different, a little bit different gander. So those that are allergic don't find any issue. Of course, they're normally not that close, but, but it looks very small from the road. It's not that small. We're sitting um, on about 15 acres that are developed, but in total, we have about 230 acres. So it's quite, yeah, it's quite a large area. Um, we have smaller habitats in the beginning, uh, which uh, are the oldest habitats we have. Uh, and so when people get to the back of the they see all of the new areas, which are basically just based on, um, 
you know, those visitors that come out. A lot of people don't realize that we don't receive any city, state, or federal funding. This is entirely funded by private donations as well as admissions. So in addition to the donations, people can also adopt and then volunteer as well, correct? Yes, absolutely. We are always looking for volunteers. Um, all we ask is for a minimum of eight hours a month. Now, of course, if you come up to a night eating or one of our public events, it can be a little deceiving as to what the volunteers actually do. It's a very small portion, you know, feeding the cats. Uh, is a small portion of what we do. A lot of it's just plain, dirty work that, uh, you know, in orientation, I always let the volunteers know. Our motto is that it's not always what you want to do, but just what needs to be done because it's just a collective effort. And there's really not a lot of us. Um, we have a core of maybe about 25 volunteers, but we're always looking for more. Um, they can apply online. And then the adoption program has been very popular. You can adopt an animal, obviously you don't take them home, um, from $40 up to $200, um, and that's for the entire year. You get quarterly updates on your animal and, and a package, uh, including a picture or, or whatever comes with that level. And it's a great way. Of course, it doesn't fund that specific animal. You know, that would be unrealistic. Um, but it goes into a fund that strictly um, provides medical care, housing, food, direct care for the animals. Yeah, kind of like a sponsorship kind of thing. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then I saw you had a thrift uh, thrift shop as well, right? We do. We do, which is maybe about six minutes from, from the ranch. Okay, good. And that's just open uh, regular hours uh, during the week? Um, it's actually manned by volunteers, and so they're open normally Thursday through Saturday. Um, not very, very long hours, I do realize. Um, but they have a ton of great stuff, um, and they take donations, and they also give um, free bags of clothes there every day. So, you know, we just try to give back in different ways to our community. Um, they've supported us over the years, so it's a, it's a little bit of what we can do. Very good. That sounds fantastic. Now, I'm going to start wrapping it up, but I did notice that you have a pretty good presence and you're very uh, up-to-date on Facebook. So people can fa uh, find you on Facebook. They can find you on Instagram. And then your website is where? Where can we find you on the website? Sure. Our website is caddyshack.org, and that's oh. uh, caddy with a T. With two T's. Okay, very good. And then uh, I would imagine there's a newsletter they can sign up and keep up to date with uh, what's going on and the, the various events through the year? Absolutely. Once they go to the website on that front page, it should uh, have a little pop-up there if they'd like to sign up for the newsletter. And uh, it's great because my favorite event is the Roaring Store, which is twice a year. It's a camping event in April and November. Those on the newsletter will have first dibs to uh, registering their campsite. Oh, good. So that gives you all the incentive listeners to go on to caddyshack.org, sign up for the newsletter, and do a camp in the next time they have one. Jordan Joseph, thank you so much for your time, and uh, keep up the good work at the ranch, and I'll be there to visit you very shortly. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on, Aaron. You're very welcome. Enjoy the rest of your day. You also. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. And once again, I'd like to thank Jordan Joseph of the Caddyshack Ranch for taking the time out of our day to explain what's going on with the ranch and how we could all help volunteer, adopt, and do something special and unique and take your family out to something cool. I mean, like I said, it's number one. It's number one. So go do it if you haven't done it already. Anyway. I'm not going to spend any more time talking about anything else other than to say that if you want any links to whatever we're talking about today in today's podcast, you're going to find all the links very easily 
in the show notes page of AaronInJax.com. That'll take you right to the podcast that you're listening to. And you can choose which episode and, you know, the other three that are besides this one. So uh, without any further ado, let's get on to Lisa Blizzard with the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. Lisa, your organization is the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, and you are the Jacksonville Chapter Coordinator. Tell us a little bit about the Sea Shepherd's mission, both nationally and here in Northeast Florida. Okay, um, Sea Shepherd has been around since 1977, and we're an ocean conservation organization. Um, we have approximately 12 vessels that help to protect Maria um, from illegal killing poaching. Um, we also help to pick up steel nets and fishing nets that also pose a threat to marine life. Locally, the Jacksonville chapter participates in beach cleanups every month. Um, we also do education and outreach for various organizations that will come and talk to schools or to clubs that might want us to speak. Also, we do like fundraising and participate in various like vegetable fests that are around town and also in Northeast Florida. Today, you're here to talk specifically about the monthly beach cleanups starting this Saturday on February 10th. Uh, but for those listening in the future, tell us where you meet up and how often your group gets together. Yeah, we have a beach cleanup every month. It's usually on a Saturday morning. In the hotter months, we try to tend to go from like 8, um, but in more reasonable weather months, we go from like 10 to 12. Usually, it's at the Jack's Beach Pier. Sometimes we go down to St. Augustine, but information on that can be found at the Sea Shepherd Jacksonville Facebook page under events. And you've been the Sea Shepherd chapter coordinator for over six years and uh, ocean conservation on some level for over 30 years. What are the most common things you see when you're doing these beach cleanups? The most common items we tend to see are basically, well, cigarette butts are most, and then items of plastic waste. Um, specifically plastic bags that pose a risk to sea turtles. Mm -hmm. um, also, balloons also pose a heavy risk to sea turtles, and a lot of people don't realize that. The turtles think their food, it gets in their digestive system and, you know, makes trouble, basically. I can imagine. What's the strangest thing that you've seen over the years at the beach? Um, we found a tent one time that was just like, I, I guess it was broken and the people didn't feel that they should take it from the beach. And that was probably the most, the biggest item we've ever found. Um, after storms, we tend to find a lot of um, rope and net used by fishermen. On your beach cleanups, do we have to bring anything or are there things for the volunteers to, to use? Yeah, we, we ask people to bring buckets. We're working on working with different community organizations to gather more buckets mm -hmm. so people won't have to bring them, but we do ask people to bring them. We do have gloves, and it's open to all ages. We especially accept students that are maybe earning volunteer hours for Bright Future Scholarships and um, Girl Scout or Boy Scout troops, that you know any type of club that wants to come out. We normally range around 20 people. And we kind of cover, you know, we send some people south, some people north, and then reconvene at the end. I posted on Facebook that you were going to be a guest on my show, and I asked my audience if they had any questions. Um, a listener of the show, Leah, she wanted to know, does the trash from the beach get recycled? 
Yes, we do try and recycle um, the cigarette butts we send in to um, TerraCycles, and that's a free service um, that anyone can do if they happen to find cigarette butts on the beach. Mm -hmm. um, they also take um, filters, uh, loose tobacco pouches, and inner foil, like let's say that gum is wrapped in, they will also take that. Um, plastic can also be recycled, except for the fact that um, the number four plastics are not because they get caught up in the recycling machines. So that would cover anything from like, you know, grocery bags or, you know, one-time use type plastic bags. Those cannot get recycled. So I want to make a challenge for all of my listeners out there. This, this really is important. If you plan on stepping on the beach this year, you owe it to the earth to do your part and participate. Not only are you doing something good, but it's good exercise and you can network with like-minded people. In addition, um, you have incentives for those who show up. So could you tell us a little bit more about those? Oh, yes. Um, we do have raffles and um, it just depends upon the kind of donations we get that month. But we do have a raffle um, each time. And we also take a group picture that is posted on our Facebook page. Your motto is to only leave footprints at the beach, which is such a beautiful thing to say, but sometimes not as easy uh, as it should be. And so many people just don't care enough. What impact does the trash have on our ecosystem? Oh, um, there are five gyras in the ocean, which are basically five places in the ocean where all the plastic is like swirling around. Um, sea Shepherd is involved um, partially in a project called Parley for the Oceans, which takes that plastic and makes them into like sneakers, blue jeans, backpacks, that type of thing. Um, the less plastic that gets into the ocean, the better. Specifically, straws pose a very detrimental threat to the sea turtles as well as other animals, but the straws will get caught in their um, nasal passages and cause them not to be able to breathe. So that's a serious matter as well. Um, also on the beach for the turtles, um, when people make, let's say, holes and let's say bury themselves, which is kind of fun on occasion, but if they don't fill up those holes, then it doesn't allow the turtles to make a safe passage in order to make their nest. So that's another problem that maybe most people might not realize. Sure. Um, I actually had a friend who volunteered with protecting sea turtles at the beach. Does your organization get involved with that? And if they do, how can people help? Um, we do. We have a project called Operation Hiro. Um, it's to protect endangered sea turtles. It happens in Florida, Honduras, and Costa Rica. Um, basically, a person would have to sign up for that project um, through seashepherd.org. And it's in Fort Lauderdale. We help an organization down there. Say we can't make it to this beach cleanup. Uh, what can we do on our own the next time we're at the beach to make a difference? Basically, don't use plastic. <laughs> and if you do, make sure you take it home and throw it out properly. Uh, make sure that you cover up any holes that you've made. And just don't leave anything but your footprints when you go to visit the beach. Right. Um, have you seen an overall improvement over the years that you've been at it? Or are some years better than others? Um, tell me a little bit about that. Um, there, there has been some improvement. When we gather the most trash is obviously after major beach events like July 4th or, you know, when there's a parade or an event there. Obviously, with more people coming in, there comes more waste. Um, but I think that in general, people are getting better. Um, the cigarette butts, um, we try and encourage people to bring the butts off and throw them out properly because that is, you know, the easiest thing for a person just to throw off 
and leave, which does cause an impact to the ocean. Hmm. That's interesting. What about storms uh, and jet streams? Is there any kind of um, more activity in the ocean that brings more trash than any other times? Definitely hurricanes do. Okay. Um, I, I phrase it as the ocean kind of spitting back out the stuff that wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. <laughs> right. So there, definitely after hurricanes, especially ropes, like that, you know, kind of ropes aren't supposed to be in the ocean, so they spit them back out. <laughs> the Sea Shepherd has a unique mission here in Northeast Florida and that it contains the only right whale calving grounds on the East Coast. And uh, the right whale is actually a huge whale and it's pretty popular with hunters. I read because they feed for long periods of time on top of the water, so they're easier to spot for hunters. Um, what type of work does the Sea Shepherd do with right whales? Um, we participate in the uh, right whale festival. Um, unfortunately, um, right whales are the population is severely decreasing. There were um, a number of deaths in their past. Also, goes up to the New England area mm -hmm. in the Bay of Fundy, and there have been a few. You know the this past summer, there were deaths there. We have a few of our volunteers that help with the uh, right whale spotting um, organization. And anyone can do that that lives on the beach. If they happen to spot a right whale, they can call the hotline number and um, report that they have seen one. And basically, those right whales are cataloged. They know whether it's a mom and a calf, if the mom has been around before, that type of thing. So that's through the Marine Land Right Whale Project. Okay, that's great advice. Thank you. And where, where can people learn more about volunteer opportunities with the Sea Shepherd? With Sea Shepherd, they can go to seashepherd.org. We're always looking for to help us um, with tabling, with beach cleanups, and you know, with fundraising. Um, and there's a tab on the top that you can either volunteer to be an onshore volunteer, or if you want to be a member of the crew, there's also an application for that. Awesome. And I see you have a booth at VegFest. That's happening March 3rd at uh, Riverside Park. Yeah, you can pick up some swag while you're there and sign up uh, for volunteer opportunities, I would imagine, there too, right? Yes, we do. We have a table at VegFest um, both in Gainesville and also at the Northeast Florida VegFest. Great. I look forward to seeing you there. Is there anything else that I might have missed that you want to say before we get off the phone? I just encourage people to be very clean at the beach and also at, in their homes to be aware of recycling and use reusable bags instead of the plastic bags. I'm definitely going to help out. I can't go to this one, but I am going to do March because that's going to be my birthday was March 24th. So I will see you out there oh. that morning to help out. <laughs> okay. And I'll be sure to say happy birthday. <laughs> that sounds great. So she is Lisa Blizzard from the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. Thank you so much for being part of the Ask Aaron T Show. Thank you for having me. Well, didn't I tell you? That was a heck of an episode, wasn't it? So once again, I'd like to thank Jordan Joseph of the Caddyshack Ranch. It's a big deal. And also, I'd love to thank Lisa Blizzard with the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. Doing really, really good things, not only for the environment, but uh, for education, for kids, and uh, teaching them the right way to respect Mother Earth. Let's see, what else do I got going on? Like I said, I've got the Girls Gone Green coming up. I also have Aaron Thursby, which is another big interview for me. I'm excited about that. That happens tomorrow, actually. Um, and this episode will drop tomorrow on Friday. 
I would also like to say before I leave is that this is probably going to be the last episode that drops on a Friday because I really, the way the interviews are lining up, it's really more conducive for me to launch on a Monday uh, so I have the whole weekend to really clean up and that way uh, for social media we can really hammer all week long the subject matter and uh, anyway, a little behind the scenes kind of stuff for all of my however many subscribers I have right now. But each week, the number is uh, climbing. So whatever you're doing out there is really working. And as you know, if you could help me out, if you haven't done so already, go back to your podcast player. Leave me a rating and a review. It goes a long way. And definitely, definitely uh, share this on social media, wherever you spend most of your time. If you could do that, I'd appreciate it. My time is up. I'll see you guys next week. Enjoy.